when we were planning the, the, the conference, we were, we were looking at the book of Ephesians, and we, we had kind of scheduled five, five sessions, and there's six chapters. And so I'm thinking when I'm planning this, you know, I'll, we'll break it up. And it broke up best. We'd be doing chapter two and three together because it's really kind of summarizing the grace of God and the love of God. And then after I get chapter two and three, I realize there's no way I'm teaching chapter two and three. It, it's, it's such, there's so much in these two chapters that God is speaking, as Pastor Raul was sharing with us, a message to the church. And you realize that you know, God has given us such great mercy and great love. And that He's done amazing things for us as we looked at chapter 1. His great riches that we have at our account, that it's at our use, the riches of Christ. And as we look at this text, and what I want to do to this, this, this session, guys, we want to step back a little bit. Because if you try to get into the, the, the whole meat of chapter 2 and 3, the, the, we, don't, we don't have the time to do it. But if we step back a little bit and look at the bigger picture, look at the context of what he's sharing and, and what he's saying, I think Lord has something to say to us. Now, you know, if, you were, if you've come into this world and you had no Christian background, if you were just kind of left to your own demise, you... you, you would miss so much of what God desires to say to us. Even if you were, you know, you, you, you're born and you know, you're brought up in a, in a, in a home where, where you don't go to church like so many of the kids in our generation, they have no Christian background at all. I, I found that oftentimes when I'm teaching, I got to explain who Samuel is. I got to explain who Goliath is as we have a generation that has no biblical foundation in their life. They, you know, you, you, there's things that I would make assumptions before. And now I, I'm learning, you know, you can't make any assumptions that people have any kind of understanding of the context of Scripture. And there's no, you know, they really don't understand not only the beginning, but they don't understand what God has done over the ages. And if you don't understand that, you, don't under, you cannot understand the Scriptures. Now, it's interesting that prior to Christ coming into the world, outside of Judaism, the whole world was alienated from God. All of the heathens had no understanding of who God was. Within Judaism, there was a path to God as God had spoke to not only Abraham, but as he had spoke to Moses and Joshua, and Israel was sharing this, you know, or last night, you know, the book of Judges, and then you go to all of the prophets, and they were explaining how to have a relationship with God as they would talk about the sacrifices, as they would talk about the importance of repentance and getting right with God, and how man is separated from God because of sin, all the way back to the garden. If you were to go back to Adam and Eve and you were to look at the accounts, how God communed with them and fellowshiped with them, but because Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God and disobey His commands, what happens is that now there is a barrier between them and God. And that death that was now part of their life has been passed on to all of mankind. 
that we're dead spiritually until the day that we surrender our hearts and we ask Jesus Christ to cleanse us and forgive us, we're, we're, we're at war with God and we're enemies of God and that we're alienated from God. And it's amazing because as you look at these first couple chapters, you know, the book of Ephesians, there's some assumptions being made that the church has some understanding of those principles. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. You see, all the time prior to Christ's coming, God was speaking to men through men, but in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. And because of His Son, and what His Son accomplished on the cross, what Jesus Christ did by dying on the cross, you and I have a hope that's beyond this earth and beyond this world. And that's really the context as He begins chapter 2. He's told us what our position is because of what Christ has done for us, but as He begins chapter 2, He reminds us of what the position was prior to Christ. Watch what He says in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. And you, Christian, He's made alive who were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath just like everybody else. Now, now here, here, here's the idea. is He's bringing this thought to the Ephesians. And I think as he's speaking, bringing that thought to us. Is that we've been made alive in Christ. But we were once dead. Spiritually dead. That the natural man cannot understand the things of God. And that natural man, before coming to Christ, we we're just living like animals. We live in the lust of our flesh, the desires of our flesh. We lived our life according to our own purposes and our own plans. And it's amazing because, you know, before, you look at our world today and you look at people that are so dissatisfied, they're so, you know, discontent doing things that, that are just, you know, so out there. I don't know you guys, the new craze in Japan having bagel heads. Have you seen that? Bagel heads. They, they, they put saline in their head and they get it all puffed up and then they put a little indent and it looks like they have a bagel sitting on their head. What are you thinking? And you see, you know, all, all of, you know, just everything going to the extremes, you know, trying to find some kind of satisfaction, trying to find some kind of purpose, trying to find some kind of, of gratification, and the lust of the flesh, man, it just drives you to do things that are crazy. That's where we see our world today. 
everyone, you know, dissatisfied. And, you, you know, you, you, you have to try something that's out of, the, you know, over the top and, and something that's over the edge in order to try to bring some kind of satisfaction in your life. And we see, man, just, you know, it's all going to the extremes. I was reading, you know, just how, you know, just the, the sexual immorality is, is, is you look at around, you know, there, there's apps now where you can find out who you can hook up with and find out where they're at on their GPS so you can just go have a real quick, you know, sexual relationship with anybody. It's crazy. We've, we, we've, we're casting off all barriers, but it's because the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. The natural man doesn't even have the capacity to grasp spiritual things. We're dead spiritually. That's what Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. That idea of discerned. Here's the definition. Specifically in a forensic sense of a judge to hold an investigation. Here, here, here's what, I, what, what, what blew my mind. is it, It's like you're trying to examine the facts, but you can't see all the facts. Because you don't have a spiritual understanding. You're trying to make a judgment on life and purpose and direction, but you don't even have all the facts before you. You know, you watch NCSI, right? You look at, you know, they do all these investigations and then one little piece of, you know, cloth will, you know, bust open the whole case and you just kind of go, oh man, that one little piece of cloth held the, the key to the whole thing. And so it is in the spiritual life, man. It's not until you have spiritual life until the Spirit of God is living inside of you and then you've come to the cross that you can begin to even understand the purposes of God and the plans of God that He has for you. You're dead spiritually. Your lust drive, drove you. Your desires drove you. And you are just like the rest of the world living a life in disobedience. You were a son of disobedience in rebellion to God and then he tells us there, he says, just like all the other people used to live and just like you used to live. We're all in the same boat. None of us are sinless and none of us are guiltless, man. We're all guilty of fulfilling our own passions and our own desires and our own lust. We're messed up. And the only one that can deliver us, it tells us in verse 4, but God. But God. And I, you know, I thank God for those verses because you realize that you know, the, whole, the whole big picture of things is that even though we're that messed up, God did, didn't give up on us and that God still had a plan for us and God was continuing to pursue after us. Even though we've rejected Him. Even though we, we've put our will above His will that God was you know, constantly pursuing us. And how important is it to know that, you know, especially in the generation that we're living in, because, you know, if you're born today and you have no idea, you, have, you don't have a Bible, you don't, you know, all you have is the television set, all you have is your peers, all you have, you know, is, is what your, your teachers are telling you, you have no capacity to understand what God wants to say to you, and you have no capacity to understand spiritual things. It's not until the Word of God, man, is planted in your heart. And then all of a sudden, man, that Word begins to take root. And then all of a sudden now you realize, you know what? God 
is pursuing me and you surrender your life to him. But God. And I love, I love he, he begins to give us the character of God, but God who was rich in mercy. We were talking about in chapter 1 that you have access to all the wealth, all the richness in the heavenly places. And he says, look, God is rich in mercy. And the whole idea of mercy is when kindness or goodness is given toward the miserable and the afflicted and joined with a desire to help them. You see, God looked down upon us and He saw our our wretched state. He saw how messed up we were. How rebellious we were. How disobedient we were. And God had pity on us. And He said, I'm going to help them. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to change them. I'm going to transform them. And watch what He says there in verse 4. But God who was rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us. Why did He do it? Why did He show mercy? Because of His great love. That God's love for you is something that's uncomprehendable. We'll see that when we get to the end of chapter 3. That God loves His creation. Even though His creation's rebelled against Him. Even though His creation rejected Him. God is constantly pursuing His creation in order for them to come back into a relationship with Him. So it's restored to that relationship that God had with Adam in the garden where He would commune in fellowship with God. That's the plan of God. He wants us to be in that place in our life where you know, we're, we're communing with Him and we're fellowshipping with Him and then our will is to do His will based upon love for Him. You realize that He's rescued you. When you realize that you deserved hell, that you were in total rebellion and in your own power and your own ability, you didn't even have the, the, the ability to fix that or to change that. And God in His great love for us, look what He says in verse 5, even when you were dead in your trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved and you've been raised up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says, when, 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 all, when, when God extends to us this kind of mercy and this kind of grace, it's all for His glory so that all the world will see the benevolence of God. So that everyone will know that, you know what, nothing in my own power, my own might is able to save me or rescue me because I'm wretched and I'm messed up, but it's the grace of God and it's the mercy of God that's been extended to my life so that everyone will understand. His kindness toward us. It's amazing just how much God desires to work in our lives. How God has extended for us the greatest sacrifice that could ever be given. His own Son. You see, I, I remember at the hospital, my firstborn, my, 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 my boy Raymond, we, we were at the hospital and Marguerite was, was giving birth to, to Raymond. And I remember 
as he came out of the womb, all of a sudden I saw the nurse's face and I saw the doctor's face and all of a sudden they looked very concerned and, then they, and I looked down and I saw him and he was turning blue right in front of me. And I go, oh God, not my son. Take me, but don't take my son. And I remember going in, following the nurses, they took him off to another room and I was sitting there and I remember getting on my knees and just showing God, whatever you got to do, please, please. Don't take my son. And to think that God willfully gave his son for me and for you. That's love. It's love. I, you know, I, I would never give my son for any of you guys. <laughs> Just so you know. I don't love you that much. But God does. He loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And whoever believes in Him will not perish. And as you realize, as He's talking here, that the only way you can come to the Son is if the Father draws you to Him. It's not something you even have the capacity to do. It's all the work of God. As God draws you to the, to, to the Son, as you realize and you bow your knee and you realize, you know what, man, my life no longer belongs to me. God gave His life in exchange for it. And now I'm in Christ Jesus. That term that's used 40 sometimes in the book of Ephesians, He's going, look, now you're in Christ Jesus. You're associated with Him. You're identified with Him. You're living your life for Him. And then He tells us in the ninth verse, or, or the, yeah, the ninth verse, He says, actually verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Check this out. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. God's the one, it wasn't anything you've done or anything you've accomplished or, you know, I just kind of determined that I was going to do it. You know what? God extended to you the greatest gift and now you have to receive the gift of God, His Son, Jesus, as now you apply what He's accomplished for you on the cross. And as we look at the 10th verse, I think here's where He gives us the plan. The purpose of God. What should He say? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's an amazing verse. Because what He's telling us is that, you see, God is shaping and molding and trying to prepare all of us for His workmanship. The word workmanship is the word poema. It's where we get the English word poem. And God's got a, a poem that He wants to write with your life and it's already a finished poem as He plans to fulfill His purposes in your life. He created you for good works. He created you so that your life would bring glory to His name. And as you look at that bigger picture, you, know, you realize that not only did man rebel against God, but God's whole plan 
of salvation is so that that, re that relationship could be restored, but also that you would now fulfill His purposes. That you would live the life that's pleasing to God. That you would be a, you know, a warrior for the kingdom of heaven. As we get into chapter 6, he's going to talk about the spiritual warfare. That we're in a war. And that we have to walk the walk. That we have to live our lives in, in a place of surrender and obedience to God. In verse 11 to verse 13, I, man, I, I love this because we'll just use it as a summary, but watch what he says. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that awesome? The whole idea is, you know, he summed up those whole verses. He's going, look, remember who you are, Gentiles? You were alienated. You were separated. You had no God. You had no hope. And that's the state of every man who does not have Christ in his life, who's not in Christ. He is hopeless. He is helpless. He, he is alienated from God. He's separated from God. And then you wonder, man, why our world is in the state that it's in. You look at what's going on. We send, we send our kids out into you know, the school systems where there's no godly counsel and there's no godly wisdom and there's no godly direction and then we expect them to somehow come out godly. How do you do that? We send our kids off to the colleges with these professors who are atheists and, and who are you know, trying to undermine God in every way they can. And then, and then we expect our kids to come out and be Christian. Remember, uh, was it Psalm 1? Stand not in the counsel of the ungodly. Or, stand in the, or, or sit in the seat of the scoffer. Or, or, and then and he even talks about the, 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 the sinner, right? And, and we're over here, you know, thinking that we're, we're, we're trying to walk this Christian life, but we're taking counsel from the ungodly and we're sitting with sinners and we're, we're you know, hanging out with, with, with those that, that are mocking and scoffing God. And, it, you know, we need to stand up and begin to live that life and begin to say, you know what, man, I, I'm, I'm not going to subject myself to the ungodly wisdom. I'm not going to subject my family and my children to ungodly counsel. As you realize that the unbeliever, man, they are in the state of disarray. They don't know truth. They don't know God. They don't have any kind of capacity to know right and wrong when, when it comes to the things of God. And it's amazing because, you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't have time to cover that whole picture, but I want you to, to, to jump to chapter 3. Look at verse 8 with me. Look what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace has been given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
to make all see what is the fellowship of His mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that Paul's going, look, guys, this mystery has been from the beginning of time. This mystery that God had a plan that was going to unite the Jew and the Gentile. He had this plan that the church was going to be His bride. And you today are the bride of Christ. And I know this is a men's conference. You go, I'm no bride. <laughs> Call me a bride. You know, it, 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 the thing is, is that our Heavenly Father, man, I think the whole idea is if when you look at a wedding and you look when the groom is taking his bride and, and just you know the, the look in the groom's eyes. Now, I just married my daughter off two weeks ago. Dude, men, I, I, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And, and I got a great son-in-law. We love Jordan. But, but, you know, to give your daughter away to another man, you're like, dude. I don't care who you are. You know, you just, you know and, and to think that, that God looks at us as that beautiful bride that's adorned, that's to be set apart for Him, and that we're not to be out messing around with the world or the things of this world or defiling ourselves by the world, but that He wants a bride that's pure, like a virgin bride waiting for her husband. That's what we're to be doing for Christ. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, there in, in verse 2 Corinthians 11-2, for I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. God's purpose, guys, is that we would be set apart from this world so that our lives could be enraptured with Him and then one day, man, that we are going to be with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we're going to be His bride eternally. And that His love upon us and His grace upon our lives, man, that, that, that is going to blow the world's mind how much God adores us and adorns us and desires to commune and to fellowship with us. That's God's plan for you. He, want, he wants you to be, you know, His own special people. Not defiled, but separate. Because it was His plan from the beginning, man, all the way from the beginning of time, this mystery has now been revealed. And for the last 2,000 years, man, we've been living in this opportunity, you know, where we are in this dispensation where we're able now to understand the mysteries of God and God's purposes and plans from the beginning of time. And that God has called you men to be the husbands that's a model of Christ so that the world can see what it's like between a husband and a wife. To love her and to cherish her. As we see in chapter 5, Paul goes into the whole picture just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives. Giving yourself for her. Where does the model come from? Him. Right? He's the model. He, he's the one who, who's established for us 
that, you know, just like you are setting yourself apart from me, that, you know, you're just have that kind of relationship in your home. That's man. But notice as he goes to verse 14. And here's where we'll wrap it up. Look at verse 14 together, man. I love here. And this is a prayer that the apostle is praying for the Ephesians. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, he's talking here about the family structure and how God in His grace and in His mercy was, you know, extending us, you know, His, His amazing grace for our lives. That you are now part of the family of God. And as Paul is praying this prayer, he wants us to understand that we're part of the heavenly family and he's really, you know, gathering together the family from all generations so that we would be together with him. But notice what he says in verse 16, man, here it's cool, watch what he says. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That you would understand, you know, that, that you would be strengthened with, what, with His might through the riches that Christ has to offer us. Where, where are you strengthened that? Not, 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 not in your muscles. He's talking about interior. He's talking about that you would have the fortitude and, 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 and the desire to follow after God. That you would be that man that's strengthened deep. Man. Not, not just on the outward surface, man, but that inwardly you would have that kind of stable, you know, consistent walk with God because you know God, because you love God, because He's dwelling inside of you and the inner man is being empowered. And we need that kind of fortitude in the days that we're living in, man. The inner man, that, that, that you're being strengthened. You know, not, not, not just what's going on the outward. Man, it's, it's incredible because you realize that, you know what, persecution is taking place throughout our world, but I believe we're very close to seeing persecution take place in the United States of America. And if you don't have the inner strength, man, in the fortitude, and you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, man, what are you going to do whenever you're being persecuted or you're having to make a decision either, you know, either for Christ or against Christ. In our workplaces. On the jobs, man. And, you know, it, it, it just amazes me how fast in the last, you know, 20 years, but in, you know, even in the last three, four years, just how far we're going away from being a Christian nation and how it is in opposition to the world for us to stand for Christ in the middle of it crazy and we need God's power men you need the power of God to stand you know with your family and to stand you know in the position that God's given you the inner strength the inner man being strengthened but notice what he says next here in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love 
that Christ is not only you know dwelling in your heart is by faith you put your trust in Him, but that you have depth. The whole idea of rooted is an agricultural term, and it speaks of having roots that can't be you know overturned by the wind or overturned by the rain or be overturned by the tornadoes, but that your roots are so deep, no matter what's being you know thrown at you, that you're not going to waver and you're not going to move and you're not going to compromise. But he's also talking, the word ground is a construction term. And he's late, it talks about being, having a foundation. You know, and here, especially in you know, the outskirts here in, in Belen, you find a lot of houses that were built of adobe and they have no foundation. And, you know, 20 years, 30 years down the road, you start to see the cracks start to happen, you know, down the adobe. And then it's not long before the walls start caving in because of the rain and because of the wind and because of the sun and all the things that beat down on it. And he's saying, look, man, as men of God, that we would be rooted and that we would be grounded in the Lord, Jesus Christ. That no matter what storms come or what earthquakes happen, last night, I, mean, I just, just remember, last night we were at, at 6.59. We, we, I was upstairs with Raul and I felt like a little shake. And I thought it was weird, but someone must have been running up the stairs. There was, a, there was an earthquake half a mile from us, um, a 3.5. Isn't that crazy? I, I, I don't think I've ever experienced an earthquake. I, know I came from L.A. and I was in a bunch of earthquakes. But I was in, you know, and Roll had asked me yesterday, he goes, hey, you guys have earthquakes here? I said, no, we never have earthquakes in here. <laughs> 659, man, I felt that boom. And then, and then Marguerite went on the, on the news last night. She goes, there was an earthquake. Three, the epicenter was, was a half a mile from our building. But you know, the earthquakes are going to come. We're going to be shaken. What kind of foundation do you have? How deep? Are you rooted in Christ? But notice here, man, and here's, man, this, uh, this verse, every time I read it, it blows my mind. Watch what he says. Verse 18. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, I, I, and I, I think that as Paul is praying this prayer, he goes, man, if you would just know, if you would just be able to comprehend something that's incomprehensible and only by the power of the Holy Spirit can you even comprehend just how much God loves you. The height, the depth, the width, the breadth man, of God's love for you. Man, if you would comprehend that, then nothing else would matter. Nothing else would matter. Nothing else would get in your way, man. No, no, no temptation, no chick, no money, no, no uh, what, whatever your vice may be, whatever your tendency may be, whatever struggle you may have. When you, put, when you understand how much God loves you, man. When you understand how much God offered for you then you realize, you know what, man? I give. I give. And it has to be motivated because of that love, because if it's motivated for any other reason, man, you will fall. You won't make it. God loves you. He died 
on the cross, paying the penalty that only he could pay. And he did it out of his amazing love for us, man. His amazing love for you and his amazing love for me. In the book of Romans, chapter 2, when Paul was writing to, to the Romans, he says, Do not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the good, when you realize just how good God is, how gracious God is, how forbearing he is, how you and I deserve to be separated for him, from him eternally, and then God takes you and he embraces you, man, because he loves you in spite of you. That's what brings us to repentance and like, man, I don't want to rebel against God anymore. And how many times does Satan in your life, man, use your sin or your vice to tell you that God doesn't love you anymore and that God can't accept you anymore or God can't forgive you? You feel condemned. Because you have this vice, man, that you can't shake and God wants to free you because He doesn't want you to be in bondage anymore. And He loves you. And He wants to restore, man, His, his, his work in your life. He wants to use you for His glory. You're His workmanship. And you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And He wants, he wants your life to have meaning and purpose. And He wants you, when you stand before Him, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's God's plan for you. He wants to work mightily in your life, man. And as you realize how much He loves you, how much He's offered for you. It's, fine. it's when we get to the place where you say, okay, God, I'm yours, man. Totally, completely, whatever, you know, you, you know who I am, you, you know my shortcoming, you know my faults, you know my character, you know, my in, you know my, all my inconsistency, but God, I now offer all that I am to you and I just want to live my life for your glory. And then God strengthens you and He empowers you and He begins to move mightily in you and then you know, man, in a greater way the mercies of God and the grace of God. Guys, we can't do it, man. I, I, you know, one of the things I realized, yeah, I've been walking with the Lord now. I'm going on 24 years. I've been walking with the Lord longer than I've been walking for the devil. For the, I mean, I can finally say that. I got saved when I was 23 and I, you know, I just turned 27. 20, yeah, 47. And, and the, you know, you, you realize that you're in a battle and that battle's constantly going, man. And it's only as you surrender daily, as you surrender constantly, as you're going, God, I need you, man. I can't do this without you. And I want to know your love in a greater way. I want to, I, I, I want to experience your love in a greater way. So we're, we're, we're going to pray. We're, we're, we're going to close. But let me read this last verse, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all 
generations. Check it out. Forever and ever. Guys, he's not talking just to the Ephesians. He's talking to the church. And he's talking to us. And God can do exceedingly abundantly above everything you could ever ask or think, man. That God, by his power and by his might, and because of his great love in which he loves you, man, he wants to empower you to be the man of God. He wants to empower you to live a life that, that's radical for the kingdom of heaven, to make a difference in the days that we're living in. In your own families, in your own, in your own community, in your own neighborhood, and wherever God may place you, man, that you would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know I need that power, man. I know that, I, I, that, that unless God, you know, daily is empowering me, that I, I, will, I will blow it, I, I will stray, I will mess up. I, I constantly got to come back and say, God, fill me fresh with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. And that I can do whatever you've called me to do because it's all about your power, not my power. And if this morning, man, you're here and you realize, you know what, I need the power of God. I need to know the love of God. I need to know the grace of God. Man, then, then you know what, I, I, we're, we're just going to pray. And if that's you, man, I, I just stand up, man, and let's pray together and just say, God, I need the power that you supply. As we go before the Lord, man, stand to your feet. If God's speaking to you and you're saying, man, I need that power in my life. I need the power of God to empower me to be everything he's called me to be, man. Father, we come to you. And as men, God, we, we acknowledge that we're weak, that, that we're, we're messed up, we're frail, we're easily distracted, we're easily tormented, just, just, just set off to, to do things that, that Lord, would, would be not pleasing to you. God, we just pray this morning, God, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. That we would understand your grace and your love. That it would be abundant upon our lives. And that, God, you would continue to move, Lord, that you would Lord, unite us together as your church. That we would find brothers in the Lord that we can commune and fellowship with and be honest with. And that, Lord, we would pray for one another. And that we would see, God, you move in the days that we're living in, in a great way. That your riches would be poured upon us as we go before you, God. We love you, we thank you, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, man. Awesome, guys.